Is our podcast critic Evie there? Hello, Jesse. Hello, I saw you in the uh, hallway before. I assumed you might be in here in the studio with me. How's it going? It's going well, thanks. No, I just popped in because I forgot my phone at work last night. Okay. <laughs> um, people will know Evie's voice for, as a newsreader here at RNZ. She's done all sorts of things, actually, in her beautiful career. Um, I was saying to you earlier, I always love hearing your te reo Māori pronunciation in your bulletins, Evie. All our newsreaders are good, but I particularly enjoy uh, your efforts. And you were telling me that you're um, a member of a kapahaka group. This is off script, sorry. Yes, I have been a member of a Pākeke group, an adult group at our um, local school, Te Kuro Waiatadua, which is actually the um, a school that my kids go to in Ellerslie. It's not a kohangadau school, that's the Māori name for it. Yeah, enjoy it, enjoy the kapahaka? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a little group of stayers of the parents at Michael Park School, and uh, we, we we had a lot of fun with our beautiful um, leader. Andrea. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, nice to hear her name mentioned on the radio. And um, tell me, when do you fit in time for podcasts? When I'm gardening, when I'm driving, um, occasionally in between bulletins when I'm working. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, true story. <laughs> okay. And you've been listening to one called Hooked on Freddy. Yeah, this one grabbed my attention, much like the uh, eponymous dolphin itself. So, <laughs> have you heard anything about this? No. So basically, it's 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 dropping now. So they're up to like the fourth or fifth episode, and there's another one coming down the pike. And um, basically, Freddie, our story starts in late '80s. So this is a documentary podcast, and so it's. Our story starts in the late 80s and a bottlenose dolphin, a male bottlenose dolphin, the locals eventually dubbed Freddy, turns up and stays for three years in the North Sea. And it's this place called Amble. It's a concrete kind of fishing village with very little charm to recommend it, according to locals. Its usual forecast is rain. And suddenly this, this <laughs> dolphin turns up and it's, it's almost miraculous. And, of course, the dolphin turns up and then all these other people start turning up and then a whole kind of industry crops up around this dolphin because people want to go out and see it. They want to swim with it. And as one of the um, local fishermen, Gordon, says, they have time to reflect on the wisdom of their choice of taking people out to see the dolphin. Yeah. But the actual story, Hooked on Freddy, is about an animal activist called Alan Cooper, who's born in Manchester, and he befriends the dolphin. And he is the person that the locals say most likes, that that Freddie most likes swimming with. Mm -hmm. And he goes out in his blue and bright yellow kind of wetsuit and swims with him for hours and hours every day, often. Now, I'm not sure how much I can say on afternoon radio. I'd go towards less rather than more. People will get the idea, I'm sure. So basically this friendship turns sour because of um, some observers who decide that Ellen is behaving, shall we say, indecently with the dolphin. Oh dear. And Ellen Cooper becomes the first person ever to stand in a dock charged with this kind of indecency of pleasuring a dolphin. Gosh. And the, the actual story... And it's called Hooked on Freddy because I'm not sure if you realise, I didn't know this, but male dolphins use their protuberance to explore the world around them. 
I'm not sure what you mean, but I, but I don't need any more detail at this stage. <laughs> Ellen. So the private parts are used as, as to explore, explore the world around them, and often a male dolphin will, well, they, they will, when they want to carry a human with them to swim, they'll actually hook themselves around the human. Wow. Hence the title, Hooked on Freddy. Okay. Does Ellen deny what he's being accused of? Oh, absolutely. And he believes that it's, I mean, he understands what it is that's, that the dolphin is doing, but he thinks it's natural dolphin behaviour. Right. And he says that he hasn't done anything to encourage the dolphin, and he's certainly not interacting with the dolphin. He's just swimming with Freddie. Mm-hmm. And enter a man called Peter Bloom, who runs Flamingo Lands. And Alan Cooper has been on a, on a campaign to get the dolphins in the Dolphinarium at Flamingo Land released back into the wild. And Peter Bloom was on a boat with a whole group of observers, and they then subsequently go to the police and they make a complaint about the indecent thing that they've seen, and Alan ends up in court. And so the podcast tells this whole story and presumably covers the trial too, does it? What happens is the podcast is told to us by a reporter who was actually there in the late 80s, early 90s. She started out her her journalism career. She was a student still making a documentary. She'd heard about this dolphin, heard all the hippies coming from all over the world to see this dolphin, heard about the the, um, apparently curing people's mental health issues by swimming with the dolphin. So she goes out. She's taken up by Gordon the Fisherman. She's dropped in the ocean in this oversized dry suit that blows up all around her with a prophylactic over a microphone to keep it dry. And next thing you know, that Freddie zooms up and whizzes her off out into the open water. Now, she comes has come back all these years later to talk to the main characters, um, now as a grown-up journalist, to talk to them about the events. And so the story is about her. She actually gets um, you know, in-person interviews with the main people involved, our main characters of the story. And she, um, I'm up to the part where there is actually... Um, something happens with Freddie. It's, I think it's a happy story in the end, let's just say that. But something's just happened with Freddie and it's all of this background story that happens to Alan about his personal tragedies that are going on in his life while he's also facing this this completely antithetical, as far as he's concerned, situation where he's out there as an animal activist trying to save animals and he's being accused of abusing one. Okay. Um, and, and once you get over the, the novelty of the story, it's obviously compelling enough that you keep listening. How, how long is the um, the podcast series and how much it's have you listened about, to? I think it's five or six episodes. Yeah. I have to say it's a bit tabloidy. It did remind <laughs> me of um, the Wagatha Christie saga that yeah. came up, you know, with, with Rebecca Vardy v. Colleen Rooney and yeah. a lot of the podcasts that sprung up about that. It's a little bit loud, a little bit breathless, a little bit brash with the narration. It's, I wouldn't say it was necessarily my style. No, because my view is that if you're covering a story as weird and wacky as this, then you need to play it straight. It doesn't work I to do, a, so do wacky coverage of a wacky story. It's OTT. I would have thought so too. And I'm wondering because I'm wondering if she's trying to drag it into the to the present with the energy she's putting into her narration because mm-hmm. she, maybe she feels it's a bit um, historical. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, thank you. The one's called Hooked on Freddy for people who want to look it up. And um, something a little straighter, the New York Times Sunday Read podcast. I haven't come across this one before.
I love it. So basically it's a part of, you might be familiar with The Daily, which is their daily deep dive into news. It's similar to RNZ's The Detail, but it looks at kind of international and national news. Um, so every Sunday, which is our Monday, they come out with the Sunday read. Now this is a completely different thing. This is literally a literary essay that's been written by kind of a dizzying array of New York Times contributors. Each week is something completely different, which is what I love about it. And so they've written this essay and then they they hire a voice to just to literally read you the essay. And so it requires very little interaction from yeah. the listener. It's like being read to, but it's I just find it um, really educational. Like, for instance, three of the ones I've listened to recently have been, like the most recent one is titled The Art of Telling Forbidden Stories in China. And it follows a Chinese um, fiction author, um, um, Hao Kun, his name is, and he has exiled himself to Australia in 2021 ahead of publishing a book called Deadly Quiet City, where he went to Wuhan and interviewed the locals, and then he's written a story about um, the impact of COVID-19 on, on the epicentre of it all. And um, he was he had many... Um, Invitations to tea, they call them by the Guobao. That's the secret police in China. And he, and then eventually, you know, he, he decides he'd better exile himself before anything else happens. And so he's talking about the modern day censorship in China and how hard it is to tell a story that's different to the rules and regulations that have come in about what's okay and what's not okay to discuss in China. That's really interesting. And then the one before that that I listened to was called the inheritance case that could unravel an art dynasty. Mm-hmm. And that's about the Wildensteins, the dynasty of the Wildensteins. And they're an, an art dynasty. Their whole family has basically generated wealth for generations from art. And there are suggestions of looted Nazi art. They are themselves Jewish. but there are sug- And basically what's happened is, you might, if you know about this family, you might know them through the really high-profile um, divorce between Alec and Jocelyn Wildenstein. She's well, she she is known sometimes as the Catwoman. Right. Oh, yeah. And um, when and they divorced in 1999, and basically she was awarded this 2.5 billion or some say more, and then 100 million every year for 13 years up thereafter. And she's only recently filed for bankruptcy. Now, the the patriarch's wife, Sylvia Roth Wildenstein, the patriarch Daniel Wildenstein died in 2001 and the sons according to Sylvia diddled her out of her inheritance so they came to her with and she'd known them for 40 years she says and she was married to their dad for 20 plus years and she trusted them implicitly and they came to her and they said actually dad has died with incredible debts and if you don't renounce your inheritance you are going to inherit his debts now she believed them and she signed away her right to the wealth which is actually un- unable to be valued because there is so much art in so many vaults and Gosh. so many locations around the world and now the legacy is so Sylvia Wildenstein has since passed away she passed away in 2010 but she left instructions for her lawyer to fight the good fight and carry on beyond her and so now the family is having to go through the courts because they're now being done for tax fraud and tax evasion. 
because of, um, and it's such an inscrutable system, yeah. the art system. It's really interesting. And then another um, Sunday read. Has Just a quick one, Evie, if you can. Sorry, go ahead. Another, um, the last one is The Vanishing Family, another example of a really interesting um, Sunday read with an Irish Catholic family, and it, it transpires that the family has inherited a genetic mutation. They have 50-50 chance of developing early dementia, and it follows the family and, and their story. Um, great recommendation, uh, particularly for people who don't maybe have the time or the concentration to read an entire New York Times long-form piece. It's called the New York Times Sunday Read podcast. And our guest podcast critic today, Evie Ashton. Thanks so much, Evie. Thanks, Evie.